Hi everyone, and welcome to this episode of Coogee Voice. Today we're talking with Stuart Little, the General Secretary of the PSA. Today we talk about the 130-year history of TAFE, a wonderful publicly owned institution that has trained young and old for generations, and how the New South Wales government is systematically destroying it. You're listening to Coogee Voice. Do we really want people going out there and performing electrical work without the inherent skills in doing that, or plumbing, or whatever my case may be? You've got to operate in a safe way. Unfortunately, the government have seen fit to cut jobs during the 130th year. They're looking at cutting around between sort of 690 to 700 of our members' jobs. They're the non-teaching jobs in TAFE. Obviously, it follows on from them cutting many thousands of teaching jobs over a number of years. And that's just basically because the government have decided that, look, we're going to hand more of vocational training to the private sector. They believe that there's this great market in the private sector that can pick up and provide vocational training. Stuart Little, welcome to Coogee Voice. How are you going today? I'm fantastic, Marjorie. How are you going? It's great to be here. Thank you. Look, I am always good. It's the back end of Anzac Day, which for me goes for a month. So Yes, Anzac Day is very, very big tradition in my family. My grandfather served on the Western Front and mum's uncle is buried at Villas Britain now, which I've managed to get over and see a few years ago. I was lucky enough to take my young kids over there and it's always been for me the most sacred day of the year, Anzac Day. And obviously having it on a Sunday is very difficult when you've got to get up and get into the office on a Monday. So I do think we do need to look at having a public holiday on those days where it, you know, falls on a Sunday or have something on the Monday anyway, whether we just have a, you know, a late start or something like that, because it's difficult. To say the least. But Stuart, before we go on, I couldn't agree with you any more than that. Anzac Day for me is, I think, singularly one of the most important days in the Australian calendar. It's an incredibly unifying day. My great uncle, so my dad's uncle, is buried in Pozier. So not too far from yours. It's amazing. If you go up to Picardy in northern France, it's just amazing to go around to the Commonwealth War Cemeteries. And the policy used to be that they got buried where they lay, the soldiers, after they'd have a big battle. And then you've got all these little small cemeteries everywhere in northern France, in Belgium as well. Whereas then if you go to Normandy, where the big American cemetery is, there's that huge American cemetery where, as I understand it, the Yanks in World War II, they'd take their dead home with them. But because so many were killed during the landing in Normandy, they just couldn't do that, which is why you've got this huge cemetery there. But so much history, you know, there for both wars and particularly the First World War, which was such a nation-defining period for Australia. I think we had 330,000 people enlist. Yeah, my grandfather, I mean, you know, a lot of people have family members that served. I think the casualties were just horrific. He was in the 1st Division artillery of 80,000 people, 15,000 killed, 35,000 wounded out of 80,000. So he was gassed. He suffered very, very badly when he came back, but but he survived to come home. And uh, 
thankfully for that, but it's a huge tradition in our family, that's for sure. And yeah, real sacred day, I think, for all Australians. An incredibly sacred day, but did you play two up? This year I stayed away from two up. The other sad thing for me, which I must say, given this is all about the eastern suburbs, is I'm a Mad St George supporter and unfortunately <laughs> for us, we had to take on the mighty eastern suburbs roosters. I stayed away from two up for a good reason. I was going to enjoy the football that day. And unfortunately, I, yet again, Marjorie, I'll hold you to blame for that. We didn't get to, didn't get the chocolates that day. But next year, we're getting better. We're a work in progress. But no, no two up this year. Certainly had a few beers, raised a few cold ones in memory of all the fallen and had a good day with the exception of the football. Had a very nice lamb roast, I have to say. We could talk about Anzac Day for hours, but that's not why we're here. Now, before we get on to talking about TAFE, because this podcast is dedicated to the eastern suburbs, what do you love most about the east? My best memories of the eastern suburbs would be the Coogee Bay Hotel and the bands I saw there. I mean, I'm 57, so that probably puts me firmly in the early 80s when I'd go and see Simple Minds and Midnight Oil and all those bands, and then I'd have to try and get home from Coogee Bay Hotel at three o'clock in the morning and find my way back to, you know, the Hurstville area, which was a bit of a trek. But no, look, the Coogee Bay Hotel, great, iconic place. Maroubra, I did live in Maroubra for a little stint, just for a period there. My brother was living there and I'd crash at his place a fair bit. So I love Maroubra, Maroubra Beach. Some lovely locals, Maroubra as well, you know, they're always friendly. They love it when people from the south come in you know, use their surfing spots. But no, no, I'm only joking there. No, Maribel's great. And I love the eastern suburbs. It's a great, great part of Sydney. Stuart, you're the General Secretary of the PSA. For those listeners who maybe aren't familiar with your union, can you tell us a little bit about your job and the kind of work that you do? Yeah, sure. As the General Secretary, you are in charge of the day-to-day affairs of the union. You control all of the staff. We have about 150 staff. Obviously, we have a very broad membership as well. I mean, we cover everyone. The sort of workers that we look after are people in the Ministry of Health. A lot of people don't realise that. But, for example, Dr Kerry Chant, who did such an amazing job during the pandemic, well, she leads our members that work at the Ministry. And then out in the area health service, they're covered by the HSU and other unions. But we're very proud of our members that work there, you know, whether it's in the Aboriginal Health Unit, in the Infectious Diseases Unit, but particularly... If you look at the work that was done by the epidemiologists, the contact tracers, really, the reason that we weren't overwhelmed by the pandemic, and I know I'm biased, but I'd say that our members played a huge, huge role in that and led absolutely with great vigour by Dr Kerry Chan. I mean, she's an inspiration to everyone, you know, that works there. And I, I often get annoyed when I see, you know, um, you know, what a great job that Gladys has done and what a great job, you know, but quite frankly, the people who are standing up there every day that are delivering that news that have to look after those people, you know, they deserve huge uh, applause. And I, they should, quite frankly, build a statue uh, one day to Dr Kerry Chance. She has worked tirelessly and continues to do so. You've come on the show today to talk about TAFE. Now, Ramwick TAFE is a wonderful, great institution that's been responsible for training and educating young and old for generations. 
TAFE this year celebrates 130 years. There's a fair bit, though, going on with TAFE at the moment. Can you give us a bit of a rundown? Sure. Look, TAFE, as you say, TAFE has been around for 130 years. That campus at Randwick as well, it's been around for most of that 130 years, albeit in different forms. But Unfortunately, the government have seen fit to cut jobs during the 130th year. They're looking at cutting around between sort of 690 to 700 of our members' jobs. They're the non-teaching jobs in TAFE. Obviously, it follows on from them cutting many thousands of teaching jobs over a number of years. And that's just basically because the government have decided that Look, we're going to hand more of vocational training to the private sector. They believe that there's this great market in the private sector that can pick up and provide vocational training, whether it's for sparkies, plumbers, all those traditional trades, but also for the non-traditional sorts of vocations that are springing up in the new and emerging economy. We say, well, quite frankly, that's poppycock. You know, if you look at the history of TAFE, it served us well. Served us well after the First World War, you know, when the diggers came back from the First World War and they had to skill up and train up, you know, it was TAFE. That's where they went to pick up and learn how to pick up these trades. When we went into the Great Depression, I mean, it was TAFE that helped people to reskill and retrain. When we had the Second World War, we built all those corvettes and, and all those ships down at Garden Island, Cockatoo Island. Well, where do you think they picked those skills up from? They come from TAFE. You know, that's where people learn. You know, you can't learn how to be a sparky or a plumber or any of those sort of things online. And I think that's part of the problem, Marjorie, is that the people that run TAFE think that we can do everything online, we can move courses to online, and the new boss has already said he wants, I think it's about 65% of all TAFE training done online. At the moment, it's less than half of that. You know, and I get some courses you can do or some components. But as I said, you can't learn how to shoe a horse online. You know, you can't learn how to build a house online. You need people with skills to show you how to use that drill or the, you know, whatever the case may be. And from a practical point of view, show them. That's the great tragedy in what we're seeing. They're cutting those jobs. They're closing campuses. The government have a, a policy of either selling off campuses or partially selling them off. We've just seen the scone tafe up in the Hunter Valley where they used to teach farriers how to, you know, do equine work. Sold it to the racing industry. You know, at cutthroat, public sector comes in, taxpayers buy it. They flog it off to, you know, the deep pockets of the racing industry. And guess what? They'll provide that training at an inflated cost, much higher cost, and they'll make money out of it. Why couldn't we do the same thing, keep it in public hands there for the future generations and use that money to provide more training elsewhere? And we've seen DAPDO TAFE close. We've seen other TAFEs around the state all earmarked for closure or partial closure, which is why they're looking to get rid of these jobs now. Then they'll reduce the number of courses, okay? So they'll, they'll, there'll be less options. Think of how that will impact on youth unemployment in regional locations like, you know, the Central Coast or even, you know, you know, not that far out of Sydney where you've got regional unemployment, youth unemployment hitting 15%. You know, that should not happen. You know, we're a very wealthy country. We should be able to provide vocational training right across New South Wales, not just in, in the cities and, and, you know, obviously Randwick, Bankstown, but we should be able to provide quality vocational training right across New South Wales, and TAFE is the way to do that. Youth unemployment is an all-time high, 
and it's even higher in regional communities than it is in metropolitan universities. What are the implications of shutting down TAFEs in regional communities compared to that of metropolitan and Sydney-based ones? It's a great question and it is huge and devastating. The impact is just massive for those regional economies. If they close TAFEs, and we've seen instances now where they're expecting people, and I, I heard your colleague Jahad Dib talk about it the other day about, I think it was maybe in hairdressing or somewhere like that, where people are expected to travel, you know, right up to the border with, with Queensland. Now, I can't remember the specific course, but again, this is the impact of shutting tapes, cutting jobs, cutting courses. It means that, you know, young people, instead of them being able to live in their communities, you know, in regional communities, they're going to have to pack up and move. Most often than not, they're going to want to come to Sydney. But, but often it will mean they just have to move to another community that doesn't necessarily have a job for them or anything else there. And it dislocates them from their regional communities. So it's a huge impact. And, and Marjorie, can I say, this is happening in circumstances where, as you know, universities have lost 40% of their funding because, you know, we've lost foreign students. So in those circumstances where the universities aren't there, where, again, the, the options in universities are drying up, where there's more and more pressure on universities, you would have thought that the state government would say, right, now's the time to invest in TAFE, to expand TAFE, to even look at opening up more TAFEs, you know, like their predecessors did for the last 130 years. Let's look at expanding the system. But no, no, we're shrinking it. We're shrinking the system and we're cutting jobs. Stuart, there's now only one TAFE that teaches wooden shipbuilding in all of New South Wales, a lot of people in the eastern suburbs own yachts at Rose Bay, at Watson's Bay. There's going to be a shortage of wooden shipbuilders, isn't there? How are these people going to get their boats fixed? Yep, that's a great question. And related to that in the old days, you used to have coopers as well. And, and that was a really skilled trade. And, you know, the old coopers that would build the barrels for the pubs and for the wineries and, and all that. Related skill was shipwrights. And Garden Island and Cockatoo Island and all of those sort of industries. And again, you're right, the demand's there and you've got people, whether it's the, you know, your, your well-held constituents, you know, we've got a few of them around the Georges River and St George, don't worry, we've got some, you know, nice places down there with a few boats. But you're right, I mean, if the demand's there for the work, well, why not provide the skills so young people can come in and make a bob doing that and go in and fix those boats and do that work and be gainfully employed? And obviously provide jobs. And it just makes sense to do that. I think you're right. There's one place left where they provide that type of skill. Before long, there'll be none unless we stand up and stop it. And it's why it's so important that we get the community behind us in this struggle going forward to really highlight the lunacy of cutting vocational training, whether it's shipbuilding or hairdressing sort of skills or, or online skills or whatever the case may be. If there's a demand for vocational training, TAFE should be providing that and being able to provide that training for people. The New South Wales government often uses the term divergent strategy is what they're pursuing with TAFE. What is meant by that? I don't know. It's a great question and I wouldn't have a clue what that means. I believe that when the Deputy Premier, John Barillaro, gets up and talks about TAFE, he says, well, these are just all sort of backroom jobs or union jobs or we're actually putting more money into TAFE. But when you hear these sort of words like divergent, I don't know what it means. I imagine it means more private sector, that the private sector is going to come in and fill a demand. And we know that doesn't happen. If we look at the performance and the track record of the private operators, 
They've got a proven track record in failure. They've failed at every turn, you know. They've left students with huge debts. They've closed up overnight and left students who've paid out money to do courses out of pocket and then they haven't been able to get their money back. When they have provided training, it's often been at a level which does not meet industry standards. In fact, they could even put people at risk. And there was talk about, you know, the government reducing the standards for things like, um, you know, electrical uh, engineering and, and that type of thing. Do we really want people going out there and performing electrical work without the inherent skills in doing that or plumbing or whatever my case may be? You've got to operate in a safe way. So when you hear divergent, I think that's a great question, but let's put it back at the people who put it out there because I don't think they know what it means. You've hit the nail on the head in terms of lack of regulation and the implications of that. People would probably be familiar that there is one trade at the moment that operates when building hospitals around the installation of gas. It's completely unregulated. And we have over the last decade tragically seen a number of babies die because of ill-fitting gas fitting and things not being correctly done. What you're talking about there gets to the root of this, right? When you have a lack of regulation, a lack of training of these critical high-risk jobs, the worst-case scenario is horrific. You're right. I'm acutely aware of what happened there and that terrible tragedy. And that was just appalling for, for everyone involved, certainly for the workers involved, the poor family that lost their child. And it shouldn't happen. And it should not happen in a place like New South Wales or Australia where we can provide skill at a level where it's dependable, reliable, and it's beyond reproach. And we know, look, accidents are going to happen on building sites and in certain scenarios where things can happen. But you, if it's foreseeable then you should eliminate that. And that sort of stuff is foreseeable because it should be regulated and that work should be heavily regulated and make sure that we've then not only just got that level of, of training and standards, but then also making sure that your work cover inspectors and people like that can make a difference when they come in and demand that those standards are kept. You can't keep those standards up if you're outsourcing training in skill provision because people they approach their work differently depending on how they've received that training. I guarantee you if you look at emerging economies around the world, you know, and no fault of theirs, but their approach to, you know, electrical engineering has got to be totally different to what we do here because we've been fortunate enough to have had decades of experience knowing and foreseeing where problems will arise. That's all built into quality vocational training. As long as you've got the right mix of experience and skill in delivering that vocational training, which is why iconic institutions like TAFE, and TAFE is held up as, as an iconic institution, which is why I think they want to rip it down because they know people like it. Everyone's got a story about TAFE, everyone. You know, it's served the people of this state for 130 years and will continue to do so. My mum learned how to do shorthand at Bankstown TAFE in the 30s or 40s or whatever it was, because it's been around there for that long. You know, everyone's got, knows a family member that went to TAFE that did something at TAFE. Served the people of this state well for 130 years. It will serve for another 130 years if we invest in it. But if you turn your back on it, if you cut jobs on it, it will let us down, which means the government is letting us down. Stuart, there's been quite a fair bit of conversation around the eastern suburbs with Randwick TAFE as the New South Wales government-funded 
a brand new ambulance superstation on the TAFE site. No staff were consulted about it. No teachers were consulted about it. Students were consulted about it. Do you have any thoughts or projections around why a government would be selling off assets that are TAFE land? Again, it's because the government like to make certain TAFE sites as attractive as they can to particular, you know, industries. And they've done it in Scone where they just let a lot of those courses fall away. They didn't replace people. And then they said, oh, well, look, it's not viable. And guess what? You know, Scone's the centre of racing in New South Wales. I know this, this is a little bit away from what your question is in TAFE at Randwick, but the same thing applies. If they then do the reverse where they go, well, look, we're whacking you know, this super centre in there on TAFE land, and then guess what? Let's Why don't we look at offering certain particular courses related to that? But we'll get a private operator to provide them. We'll let them have TAFE property on lease, and then bit by bit, it slowly gets handed to the private sector. And before you know it, you've lost a public sector asset which had performed very well for 130 years and it's just basically handed over to the private sector. Now, I'm not saying that that will happen, but it certainly can happen. And it's always cause for concern for us where they're earmarking parts of TAFE to be sold off. I mean, they wouldn't do it to schools. They wouldn't do it to hospitals. Well, they're going to do it to, you know, Randwick Public School and say, oh, listen, sorry, kids, you can't play footy up the back or cricket because we're going to put a little ambulance station there or a fire station, but we'll do it to TAFE. Well, it shows you what they think of TAFE, doesn't it? It shows you that they're not concerned or they're more than happy to what they call recycle those assets, which means privatise them. Stuart, before I let you go, there are three really tough questions we ask every single person that comes onto the show. You must declare the best beach in the eastern suburbs, where you can get the best coffee and where sells the best burgers. Go. Okay, well, okay, I'll have to say Clavelli is my favourite beach because my daughter was living just up the road for a short period. Mind you, she had to move out because she couldn't afford the rent. But when she was living there, we'd go to Clavelli and we'd look for the, that, that, you know, the big groper and, and, and bluey and all that sort of stuff and we'd go skin diving down there. The best coffee, Cafe de Paris in Havelock Avenue. And I say that because they do great coffee, great food, and it's just a really nice, relaxing place. And, look, if you've seen me, you'd know that I can't eat hamburgers. I've had to give them away a long time ago. But if I was going to have a hamburger, I'd probably have to just go to the Coogee Bay Hotel and order a burger there for old time's sake. Stuart, thanks for joining us. If people would like to learn more about how they can help rebuild and save TAFE, where should they head to? Definitely check us out on our Facebook page so they can look up CPSU New South Wales or PSA New South Wales on Facebook. Uh, They can look up Stuart Little, that's with a W. I do share a name with a famous film star, but I spell it slightly differently. Yeah, they can look up Stuart Little, General Secretary, PSA New South Wales. People can go and check us out at psa.asn.au or they can check us out at cpsunsw.org.au. Stuart, thanks for joining us on Coogee Voice. Only a pleasure. What an interesting conversation. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the PSA or the CPSU, you can find them on Instagram on PSA CPSU UNSW. 
You've been listening to Coogee Voice. 